Point out the colors of you. I see them too, and boy, I like them. I like them. I like them. We wait to fly to partake in all this hate. We out here vibing. We vibing. We vibing. Alexa, play Ariana Grande. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Feral Audio. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 86 of Steve A.G. Uh, I'm recording this intro from my hotel in Palm Springs, California. Home of heat. Uh, It's currently about 105 degrees. And um, luckily, I'm I'm working on an independent movie out here in Palm Springs. And... um, Last week, I actually started last Friday, and thankfully it was fairly cool. It was, you know, maybe 90 degrees, which is good for out here. And uh, then over the weekend, things took a turn for the warm and um, started shooting again. And it's been in the hundreds. Yesterday we shot, and it was uh, 104 and it was one of the few days yesterday that I actually shot during the day. Last Friday I did, but it was fine. It wasn't this bad. But yesterday I had one scene where we shot outside and uh, it was 104 degrees and it felt every bit of it. But uh, I think for the most part, the rest of the shoot, I'm shooting at night, which is awesome. Or indoors, which is also awesome. Um, but it's supposed to remain in the, you know, hundreds for the rest of this week. And I have two more weeks of shooting. Next week's supposed to be cooler. Anyway, you don't want to hear about all this. I am in Palm Springs and that's why I'm recording this intro in my hotel. And it sounds a little, a little bit echoey because I'm just using a room mic and, um, but whatever. Anyway, uh, I'll keep this short. Um, this episode, uh, features, uh, my guest and friend, Scott reader, who I've been a huge fan of for years. Um, he was in a band called Caius, which, uh, for some of you millennials, you should check out Caius. Uh, coincidentally is also the band that Josh Homme was in before Queens of the Stone Age. Um, and I'm a huge, huge Queens fan. I'm also a huge, huge Caius fan. In fact, uh, if you check my Instagram, I think I talked about this in the episode. If you check my Instagram, I actually drove out to uh, a very remote location in the desert to take a photo <laughs> of a sign that says, Welcome to Sky Valley. Sky Valley's a place, just another small little I can't even say city. It's a small little town out here in the desert, which probably has a population in the hundreds, I I would assume. 
But that same sign is on the album cover to probably my favorite Caius album, uh, Sky Valley, which we talk about in the episode. I don't want to give away too much in this intro because that's pointless. You, you should hear all this stuff from Scott. And um, so uh, listen to this episode. Enjoy it. Uh, I think by the time this comes out, Guardians of the Galaxy will be out. Uh, if not, it will be out. If this launches on Thursday, then Guardians of the Galaxy is out tomorrow. If it comes out later, then Guardians is out now. You should go see it. Uh, I know I'm biased because I have a very small part in it, but it's uh, I saw it, you know, two weeks ago and it was awesome. If you like the first one, I think you'll really like this one. Maybe even more so. I hope so. Uh, either way, I had a blast working on it a year ago. I can't believe it's finally here. Um, that's really all I have to plug, I think. Yeah. And I'm working on this movie in Palm Springs. I don't. We don't really have a name for the movie yet. But um, when that comes out, which will probably be a little ways down the line, I'll let you know. So thank you for listening to this, and um, I'll catch you next time. All right, bye. Okay, yeah, I'm pretty soft. All right, I'll boost you here. Talking. I'll, I'll try not to get crazy. Uh, all right, I think we're good. Actually, I mean we're recording. I just start recording as soon as I. So don't don't talk shit about anybody. Unless you want it on Oh shit And we can cuss That's okay Yeah you can fucking cuss Awesome I have the worst Language I started that I mean I grew up In like a Christian family So I was never Into cursing And then I got sent To military school For the last two years Of high school Wow And just Every fucking word Out of my <laughs> mouth Was Fuck I learned Every I just became a Cussing machine. <laughs> yeah, I'm bad in restaurants. There'll be a, a table full of children the next table. <laughs> Renee's all easy, bud. You're cursing again. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I was at a restaurant. I, okay, I'll I'll just start with this. Uh, oh my god, that's bitching. That was a peacock. That's a peacock, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I am sitting here with Scott Reader from Caius uh, Fireball Ministry. Uh, Sun and Sail Club. The Obsessed. The Obsessed. Oh, God. It goes on and on. Um, some Kind of Monster. <laughs> I, ju I was just watching that again recently, and I had totally forgotten. I was like, oh, Jesus, there's you and Eric Avery. and That was Jordan pretty mind-blowing. I was right here outside this window shoveling moldy hay one morning. Yeah. Renee came walking out with the phone from the house. Um, this guy says he's Lars Ulrich. Well, Lars personally called? Yeah. She thought it was a prank phone call from Maynard from Tool because he used to call our pet store and be a pain in the ass. Really? <laughs> like, Maynard, you motherfucker. And no, it was Lars Ulrich. And they invited me up to jam. And Had you met him before? Yeah, we toured together in Australia. Oh, with Tool? No, no. With um, oh, Caius. Caius and Metallica toured in Australia. Holy shit, um, with man. with the tool guys, as I'm looking at the undertow album cover right there. Did you there, play with you played with them? I auditioned for them. 
You didn't um, play with them. Well, they did a Caius cover in '98. Which one? Uh, Demon Cleaner. Oh yeah. And they had me come out for a couple of shows. So I would be nervous all day, stomach and knots, getting ready for the big <laughs> show. I'd go out there, barely work up a sweat for one song. Like, you're out of here, bud. I, uh, yeah, I looked at your last night. I looked at your Wikipedia page, like yeah. I do with. Yeah, every, it says that I played in Tool. Yeah, mm. Associated Acts Tool. Yeah. And I was like, "Fuck no shit!" No, I just auditioned with them, and apparently it was down to me and Justin. And there was a conference call on Halloween, and they said Justin just oozes tool. It was weird. It was right after Caius broke up, and oh man, that would have been a good gig. It would have been fun. I uh, I was playing in a band in like the nineties, and I was living in Hollywood with my girlfriend, and she broke up with me and moved back to Sacramento, and then uh, I couldn't afford this big ass apartment that we we're in and so i moved into a small shithole and i just that just sucks all around and i started playing with this band i was just like i need to occupy my time i just finished at musicians institute uh, i took classes at the base that's around 89 no this, no no this is way later this is like 95 okay and then uh so i after my girlfriend broke up with me, I wasn't in my original band anymore, and I just had all this downtime. So I was like, I just got to find a band to play in. So I was playing. I just looked in like the LA Weekly and found you know people looking for bands, and I started playing with this band called This Trip. These two it was like a mostly all girl band, and um, one of the girls, I don't know if she was still dating him at the time or had dated him. Uh, this guy Gary from Green Jello. Mm -hmm. Do you remember them? Gary, I, I want to say Gary Tovar, but he was a Golden Voice guy. I don't know. He was... Gary... I remember Green Jello. He was the though. guy that dressed like Anthony. He was like the Anthony Kiedis one of the group, you know, when they would parody all those... Yeah. Or was it Green Jelly? Um, a little of both. Yeah. I think there was a lawsuit or something, and they had to change the name. So she was dating one of those dudes, and, um, and he was roommates with Maynard. Hmm. And... Oh, that's that's how that's why I started talking about this. I my girlfriend had broken up with me, and I was looking for a place to live. And so the girl, one of the girls in my band, was like, "She goes, oh, Gary and Maynard are looking for a roommate." And I, I was a huge Tool fan. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, they live in this house, and she's telling him about me about them. And she's like, I think Maynard has a pet turkey. Did, do you know about this? I don't know about the turkey. She said he had a pet turkey, and it lived in the house. Like it was like an indoor outdoor. Like I don't know if any of this is true, but I remember her saying he had a pet turkey, and that was what made me go, "No, I'm not." Uh, he was into some exotic animals. He, I think he had chameleons, <laughs> exotic animals like turkeys. Supposedly, he helped pet stores um, get set up. He was into feng shui. I don't know. Feng shui for animals? For Yeah, for the flow of pet stores. Um, that's so funny. But yeah, I was like, I have a lot of <laughs> pet allergies and stuff. Or I used to. I've, I think I've outgrown a lot of them. Like, cats used to make me deathly allergic, and yeah. they don't anymore. Well, if you're getting itchy by the time you leave here, because this is a bad place to be. <laughs> no, I thought that coming up, but I everything's so... Fine. I took a Zyrtec before I came here. Oh, good, good. 
Um, yeah, we're surrounded by goats right now. There's a horse outside. There are dogs everywhere. Yeah, so I'm here. Birds. I think this is episode 86 of the podcast. We're here with Scott Reeder, and I am at his ranch in Banning, California, which I grew up. I grew up in Riverside, but I spent a lot of time in Beaumont and Banning because my grandparents lived out here. In fact, my uncle on my dad's side owned an ice cream factory like they made ice cream in beaumont wow and uh i remember as a kid just thinking that was the greatest thing like we'd go visit him in the well, ice yeah. cream factory and he'd just give us free ice cream and i thought it was the best thing and then he sold it to is it dryers or briars really yeah they bought him out and uh that's crazy I think he made a lot of money off of that but my grandparents had a restaurant. Did his company become that, or did they just want to get rid of the competition? They bought him out. And, and um, we can't have this guy. <laughs> and then my grandparents had a restaurant right on the main street in Beaumont called The Rusty Lantern. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, hell yeah. When I was a kid, that was your grandparents? Yeah, my grandparents owned that restaurant. Holy shit. My family could go there. We could afford that maybe once a year on yeah. a special occasion. Yeah. Um, Wow. Like for a birthday, like, yeah, let's go to the Rusty Lantern. It became, I think, a Chinese buffet. Yeah. It's it's long been gone. Yeah. I think when I was a kid, it eventually, they sold it or something. Yeah. yeah. I lived in a little house that was right behind it. And uh, whenever, you know, my parents would go on vacation or stuff and I would stay at my grandparents, yeah. they just... The first time Going I ever ate a steak was probably at the Rusty Lantern. My family moved here <laughs> when I was three. I had my fourth birthday here. Um, From I Barstow? Grew up, no, no. That's the other Scott Reader. See, the, my Wikipedia page See, is Wikipedia fucked. Wikipedia page says you're from Barstow. Yeah, that, and also, the other Scott Reader from Fu Manchu is from Barstow. Coincidence? No, I was it, born in Pomona. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. Yeah, it's all fucked up. Um, oh, that's so weird. Because Yeah, it says that you and Scott are... Both from yeah, that would be too weird. Barcelona. I was like, that's amazing. We have the same parents. Um, no, I was born in Pomona in 1965. Yeah, and then we moved here in '68, I believe. Oh wow, yeah. It's a little fuzzy memory around that time. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember our older place. You know, before I was like six or seven, but. Um, yeah, my whole family has roots out here. You know, my before they lived in Beaumont, my grandparents moved from Texas to Yukaipa. Mm -hmm. So my dad grew up in Yukaipa, and then they moved to Beaumont. And uh, yeah, my mom grew up out, I think in La Sierra or Corona, and then her parents moved to Cherry Valley. Is that more banning or? It's it's unincorporated. It's kind of a weird in between ish. I don't know. They, they they need to be a city one of these days. So yeah, we've had I've had fan. Oh my god, there's a goat right outside your door here, <laughs> lurking. Hi. Do you have names for them all? Yes. Don't quiz me on that, please. <laughs> like, what, do you know which one? This one looks like Stripe from uh, from a uh, what's it called? Gremlins. I can't see it from where I'm sitting. It's black and white. And he's a little goat. Uh, it might be totes. Totes. Totes with goats. 
Totes my goat. That's a good name for him. Here you go. Here he comes. She hung out in the house with us for a while. It was little when Renee got her. Oh my god. I want. I was telling you. I mean, for the listeners, I was telling you that my girlfriend and I would go uh, brush goats. Apparently, they love being scratched or whatever. So, like, we would go to this place and we would just use a wire brush and as soon as you pull it out of the bucket they're all like around you going get my back uh, dude get my back uh, yeah we have too many <laughs> how many how many horses do you have oh gosh i think we have 13 horses right now like those aren't mustangs out there right in the, in there the there are four mustangs out there in that field wow uh, they were rescued from the indian canyons in palm springs during a drought probably 14 years ago. Wow. And I think over a hundred died out there. No way. Yeah. Yeah. It was Just really from a drought. Yeah. There was nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Um, one of them and died just like fenced in somewhere out there. No, they were wild. No way. Yeah. I didn't even know wild horses were still a thing. I think there were six trapped um, and on the way from the the Indian Canyons to Smoke Tree Stables, which is like a mile away, one of them died on the trailer. Ugh. And Renee got a call from the tribe and asked if we want to take care of them. Sure. Oh, my God. So they brought five here, and one of them died, I think, the second day I was here. Oh, man. Dude, that's the, horrible. The systems that already started shutting yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. There was another one that was pregnant and had a baby, which is out here right now. Sunbeam. I I watched her the, the morning she was born. The dogs were going crazy. I looked out the window, and I thought our Doberman was chasing one of the horses around in this ring. And I went out there, and it was the baby. Yeah, no way. And it was still kind of dark. And I I parked the Polaris up on the hill, and I watched the the sunlight sweep across the baby for the first time. And I called it Sunbeam. Oh my and God, that's amazing! She's been out here for fourteen or fifteen years. So they're basically still wild horses, though. They just roam around on your property. Yeah, yeah. You can't ride them. No, no. They have probably 20 acres to roam out there so it's not as cool as what they used to have yeah but, but at least they is, have food and water this know? is still a huge amount of property i was shocked when i drove up here um and this is my first time here we follow each other on instagram but i i'm always just a i love the bands you've been in but i'm also i'm just like obsessed with i've always wanted to have like a place out in the desert or like a cabin or a ranch house or something. Yeah. Like so, so we're right on the edge of the desert. We're, we're kind of on the edge of the bowl before it yeah. drops into the desert. So it's kind of like being in the desert, but it's 20 degrees cooler right here. So it's it's perfect for us. Yeah, I left livestock. Palm Springs today and it was like almost 100 degrees. And it's totally nice out up here. Yeah. What's what? Do you know what the elevation is around here? Um, we're just under 3,000 feet. That's pretty good. Yeah. We it's get like Joshua Tree. We get a little snow in the winter sometimes. Um, but yeah, I've been going out to Joshua Tree for 30 years. Yeah. I started going out there when I was like 18 and rock climbing and and just kept going and going camping. And then, and then I met Dave out at Rancho de la Luna. And yeah. That just increased 
the amount of trips out to the desert yeah. I was, it was just gave me another fucking reason to yeah. <laughs> that place is magical that whole compound that brian and hutch and all those guys live on is yeah. is amazing and i'm always telling them dude if any of these houses come up for sale in this area fucking let me know yeah. it's, it's amazing it's magical out there i've had some good times out there um uh, did you play in any of the desert sessions no um caius recorded out there a couple of times um the, the first time i recorded out there we were just fucking around it was oh gosh i think 1994 jesus and i remember a night out there I can't speak for anybody else, but I was on mushrooms. Yeah, and, I've been on mushrooms uh, many, many times. Josh was there. John was there. My wife was there. Chris Goss was there, and uh -huh. Fred, and I'm not sure who else. And I remember we we did some recording that night, but I don't even remember what oh, we man. did. And I think it was John that had this big rented Cadillac. And, and <laughs> before we left, we were signing Fred's guest book, and he said, "So what's next for you guys?" And I said, "Well." This record, Sky Valley, is coming out. Um, I'm like running through the calendar. Tomorrow? No way. We didn't even realize the record was coming out. We didn't have a drummer at the time or anything. And, and I don't think we Who played with, drums on that album? Well, Brant played on it, but he yeah. quit halfway through making it. Um, was that your first Caius album? Yeah. You came in after Nick left. Yeah, I came in before Blues for the Red Sun was released. Um, they, they, but Sky Valley was the first major label album with them, right? Yeah. How did you meet those guys? Well, I was playing in the Obsessed, and my friend Garth, who was my neighbor through high school, introduced me to Brant. Yeah. And he was aware of me through Across the River. I think Josh and Brant had seen me playing Across the River. Uh huh. Uh, back in 1986 on my 21st birthday so those guys oh my yeah. god we are like so josh's birthday would have been the next day yeah because uh, i'm the 16th and he's the 17th of may oh wow so if i was turning That's coming up so he was 12 going on 13 the next day and i was 20 going on 21 well i was 21 that day wait he was 13 yeah almost 13 yeah <laughs> and, and so we played this Palm Desert Community Center, oh, and, and I, I'm pretty sure Josh and Brant were both there um, at age, what did I say, 12? 12 or 13, yeah. And uh, oh my the God. cops came through sometime like before 9 and said, at 9 o'clock, oh, the kids have got to be out of here. We're going to take you to juvie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Juvie. So, I was so afraid of ju just the word juvie when I yeah. it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And it was St. Vitus playing with us and DRI. And I don't know if you're into St. Vitus, but it was Wino's very first show on, no my, show. on my 21st birthday. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's I think that was my introduction to those guys. But but then actually getting to know them. Were you later. living in Pomona at that time? Um, when did you no, come out to the desert? I, I've gone back and forth to LA a couple of times. Um, you know, my family lived here. Then my mom got transferred to the desert um, in 1978. What did she do? She was an escrow officer. Okay. working for Security Pacific National Bank. Yeah. So the family was forced to move down to the desert. Just me and my brother and my mom. And so I graduated high school from Palm Springs in 83. Wow. And then I went to UCLA for a couple of years. And my bandmates from Dead Issue 
Mario Lolly. Yeah. And Alfredo Hernandez, who was later in Queens and Caius. And this guy, Herb Leneau, that we grew up with. We tried to do the band thing out in L.A. Uh, We had a falling out with Herb. And then Across the River started with me and Alfredo and Mario. And um, we ended up moving back to the desert in 85. Oh my God. And one thing leads to another. We break up. I had my lady, Renee, during that whole time with Across the River. Yeah. And I wasn't doing anything for about a year. And I got a phone call out of the blue uh, from a recording engineer in L.A. Turned out he went to church with my aunt and uncle. My name came up at dinner. He was looking for an apprentice to come out and learn recording. No way. So they let me borrow a few bucks to move us out and picked up our roots, moved to L.A. No way. And became a recording engineer. I worked at this jingle house. We did a lot of film soundtracks. Um, We did a lot of work with Giorgio Moroder. No way. Yeah. And then there was a strike going on. With, I think there was a writer's strike. So there was no TV stuff going on. So I hit the pavement with my little resume, and I got a job at Cherokee Studios, yeah. where I worked with everybody from Wayne Newton to Paula Abdul. What? Um, I had no idea. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. What? I yeah. had no idea yeah. all this about you. I was a staff engineer at fucking Cherokee. Uh, my first day on and the you job. You learned recording from a guy who did church. Stuff? Well, we were we were working or on. He went to church. It, 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 he went to church. Okay. They, they were meeting. He wasn't through the church. Like church. No, no, no. They worked on film soundtracks. Uh, we worked on planes, trains, and automobiles. What? Yeah. You know that scene where his arms stuck and, and the cigarettes burning. Yeah, yeah, in the car. Yeah, yeah, all that orchestral stuff we did there. Dude, that's incredible. That's, oh my um, God. Did you get to meet John Hughes? Oh yeah, he came in the studio. Oh my God, I am so <laughs> jealous. John Hughes is my favorite director of wow. all time. We were just watching Uncle Buck last night and I was tripping out like, man, that guy's not around anymore. It was, it was, I know, I was so sad when he died. Uh, he was so quiet and unassuming. Yeah. When he came in, I didn't realize he was that director. I didn't even realize that was him until yeah. we were talking about it the next day. I thought he was some runner just coming over to pick up tapes because he was so quiet and just patiently waiting. And Is your name in the credits on No, no. Just the recording company. Yeah. Um, I was working with the composer um, Anthony Marinelli and his partner Brian Banks. God. And... I mean, they they had platinum records on the wall for um, working on Thriller. They oh, they were like the God. the synthesizer programmers on Thriller and Lionel Richie stuff. They were huge keyboard guys. They had like the granddaddy of samplers yeah. in those days. This is 1987 through 92 that I was working with those guys. Um, two I days. Am, this is so shocking to me. I had I just was like. Yeah, he lived in the desert and played with Caius nah, and obsessed. I, and I've had some crazy twists and turns in my life. Oh, my God. I, I worked with, I mean, I got to hang out with Bernard Edwards when I was at Cherokee. <laughs> uh, my first day on the job, I worked with Kiss. What? Your first day? Yeah. What album was that? It, it was like sampling an, stuff. Animal Eyes or it, something? It, it was 
probably around that era. I want to say 88, 89, but they were sampling stuff for their live show. And <laughs> Eric Carr was there. No way. And yeah, that was pretty crazy. Dude, this is so shocking to me. I had no idea. That you <laughs> I, I got were to in the recording industry. I worked with Jellybean Benitez. No way. Um, I actually got a job offer to work as uh, Giorgio Moroder's um, composing engineer. I guess he had a little room where he would noodle around on the keyboard and oh, record just, that yeah oh my god dude and I was so busy with other stuff that I, I turned it down uh, that would have been really high pressure um he was pretty intense I worked with him a few times and yeah I was making a cassette of this loop thing that we did for him I think it was a theme for a soccer match or something and I didn't have time to put a pencil in there and roll the cassette to the leader. So I just hit record play and it's recording. And I knew it wasn't past the leader yet. And he's like, that's enough. <laughs> like, I hit stop. He took the cassette away and then he called the studio all angry. There's nothing on the tape. <laughs> oh my God. But I, I, my first singing gig was with Giorgio singing on this soccer theme for the World Cup or something. And fucking hell. I, I was in this huge room where Donna Summers recorded all her hits. <laughs> and we all had headphones and sang the, the background vocals to this thing. And as you oh walked God. out the door, there was somebody standing there with a huge stack of $100 bills just slapping them in your no hand as you, as you walk out. Yeah. That's a dream gig. Yeah. yeah. As soon as you finish your work, you get, get paid. Yeah. That never happens. Yeah. Um, I played, I don't know if you ever watched Yacht Rock, the, like the Yacht Rock web series mm. about Michael McDonald and um, Kenny Loggins. It's just this, my friends did this dumb, like, there's another goat. Hi, goat. <laughs> my friends did this thing called Yacht Rock, and I played, I played Steve Procaro in most of the episodes, but there was an episode towards the end where I played... Giorgio Moroder's father <laughs> and John Koneski who plays guitar with Tenacious yeah, D yeah he's played in this room before has he really yeah John played Giorgio Moroder in the in that no way yeah <laughs> I've got to see that and we took extreme liberties I don't know if he s spoke with an it Italian accent mm -hmm. but we were we were doing the most stereotypical hey, Giorgio yeah. you hate your papa yeah and uh yeah I think that's the final episode of Yacht Rock yeah it's when he fun. would call the studio um there were just the four of us working there the two composer guys the the chief engineer guy and then assistant guy me so I was usually answering the phone so on our productions and he would just say Giorgio no way <laughs> like, Anthony I think it's for you that's so... I had no idea. I mean, I guess that makes sense that you know how to record and you have this studio. Oh, the, the sessions we had at the Jingle House were insane, man. Um, Mark Curry was the, the chief engineer there when I, when I started. He was sick a lot. So I got thrown into the hot seat real fast. Fuck. And my first um, live drum recording session was um, Vinny Colyuda playing drums. No way. Yeah. He's a badass. And Abraham Laboreal playing bass. No way. At the same time. Just like doing freeform jams and stuff. They used to come and uh, they would do clinics at Musicians Institute. I yeah. saw Abe and Vinny play together at wow. Musicians Institute. Yeah. That was like... It doesn't get any better than that. No. 
that really turned me on to a world outside of rock. I was like, these guys are amazing. Yeah, I think, I've never heard of Vinny Cayuta. I think Abe Laboreal is my favorite bassist of all time. He's And I think they both, I know Vinny played with Sting. I know he toured with Sting a yeah, lot. Yeah, we were using him all the time on commercials and film stuff. Yeah, I've got a VHS around here somewhere of him playing on the soundtrack of a Stephen King movie that we worked on. It was like the worst Stephen King movie. What? Um, Graveyard Shift. No shit. And I made all these instruments out of bones. I, I boiled cow bones and drained all the marrow out and made what? xylophones. And he That's would just amazing. take bones and grind them in scenes. And you know, he was like performing with the picture in front of him. Yeah, yeah. So he's like reacting to stuff. The video is hilarious. Whoa. You're my friend. Do you know Tall Wilkenfeld? I have not met her. She's awesome. She she's played with everybody, but yeah, I always see her at the the base events for Big yeah, Time Magazine. Yeah, she uh, she's buddies with Vinny Cayuta. I think they play together a lot. Yeah. Um, was he playing with Jeff Beck too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Her she was playing bass for Jeff Beck, and which is crazy because yeah. she was like eighteen or yeah. nineteen. She's so good too. Yeah. I met her at very recently. I haven't known her that long, but I met her at a. Uh, Les Claypool was touring with Sean Lennon. The hell were they calling the Claypool? I forget what they were calling themselves. Something weird. But they were doing, you know, like uh, psychedelic, you know, King Crimson covers. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I met her at the Fonda. See, I didn't realize you were such a bass guy. You need to go to Bass Player Live. Um, yeah. It's. Oh gosh, it's probably in October or November. Okay, every year, Bass Player Magazine, and they have their their picks for Lifetime Achievement Award and stuff oh, like shit. that. Where where do they do that? Um, at SIR Studios in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, oh my God, walking distance for me. And depending on who's getting the Lifetime Achievement Awards, they moved the venue around for the big awards show. Right. Um, Geezer Butler was a few years ago, and they did it at the. Um, Maybe the Fonda Theater, I think yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, that was huge. Holy shit. I, I've seen Bootsy Collins. That was at the Key Club. Oh. Um, the Key Club. Oh, my God. I forgot about that place. Yeah. That was a nice venue. It used to be Gazzari's, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, the, oh, I saw Lemmy get his. Uh, just maybe a month before he died. How did he seem? Frail. Ugh. Yeah, I didn't get to talk to him. I hate seeing that. Um, he just kind of walked out there, got his award, and shuffled off. And uh, I hate seeing them get old. Yeah. Go to any of the Iggy shows when Josh was playing? Them? No, I, I think I was traveling. I've never seen. I never saw the Stooges, obviously, but I never saw Iggy play. And then, uh, you know, when Josh and those guys were touring with him, I was like, oh well, now I can go see him. Yeah. Then I went to the Greek, and it was amazing. He sounds great. He still has a lot of energy, but you can tell he's a little frail, like he kind of limping, and you're like, oh, don't ever die, dude. Uh, Jesus Christ, so yeah. many of them are dying now, too. Yeah, uh, last year was rough. Last man. year was the worst. Bowie, that just ate away at me. Yeah. I love Bowie. When did you first start playing bass? And I assume that because you're a lefty and you play with a right-handed stringed bass, you just got a right-handed bass and st taught yourself? 
Um, my dad played guitar. My grandpa played guitar. Um, my other grandparents on the reader side uh, played violin. No yeah, way. All the, all the grandparents are musicians, were oh musicians. Uh, so it just came from picking up their guitars and flipping them over. Um, I started off playing drums when I was five. Really? And actually started playing in bands in high school. Uh, I think Dead Issue was probably the first band I played drums in. And our bass player quit. So I ended up buying his bass from him, and we got Alfredo to play drums. No way. So he was actually the first drummer that I played bass no with. No way. And Mario was the first guitar player that I ever played bass with. So you let, you uh, you obviously taught yourself because yeah. people don't teach bass strung that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a stack of punk records that I think Herb let me borrow when I first started playing. Black Flag, Jealous Again's hang on the wall right there. Yeah, that was one of them. Um, I think the Adolescence Blue record was one of them. Yeah, and oddly enough, I play in a band with Tony these days. Yeah, um, TSOL, Bad Religion. Minor Threat was probably around that stack. Um, but yeah, just playing along with those records and picking it up as fast as I could. I can't imagine. I can't. I still. I can't wrap my head around playing with that string set. <laughs> to me. But you don't know anything different. No, I don't. And for me, it, it, it seems like it'd be more comfortable. Most of the stuff you play is on the E and the A string. Yeah. And for me, those strings are on the bottom. Yeah. So you don't have to like arch your wrist around and yeah. mute those bottom strings to, to play on the... But you can play chords and everything. It's the chords that, I mean, I didn't even know you until today when I got here and you told me that Dick Dale plays that way. Yeah. I'm like, how the fuck do you play chords? The, the placement is different and... But I guess if you don't know any other way, there's no really wrong way of doing yeah, it. Yeah, it's just the the only fucked thing for me is I can't walk into a guitar center and and play any guitar that's hanging up there. Yeah. Um, if I see a lefty hanging up, I get all excited. But then when I no. check it out, it's strung backwards for me, so I can't really play it. So when you go to guitar center, you have to play right-handed guitar and then flip it over. Right? Yeah, but I would never buy one. No, you couldn't buy one. Yeah, because the knobs are on the wrong side. I mean, I, I do have a couple of right-handed bases that I've used for recording, and I have to put duct tape over the knobs, otherwise they turn. Is it... <laughs> I still can't comprehend the strings out of it. So, when Warwick makes your bases, are, are they stringing them for you, too? Like, yeah. Holy shit. I mean, they'll do whatever specs. They'll, they'll change the curvature of the back of the neck. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, you can order a specific radius of the neck. I've seen the machine that does it. Really? Um, Hans-Peter Wilfer is the head of Warwick, and he's a fucking genius. He had machines built by the company that builds the factory machines for Mercedes. No. And this machine that does the necks... Um, I think you can change the arch on the front of the neck on the fretboard. Uh huh. But it'll, you can go from a C shape to a more flattened neck that's really thin. No way. And so it kind of, it, it kind of rocks the 
you'd have to see it to believe it. And then it runs it through this other thing, and lasers are measuring like where the frets are going to go, yeah. and it cuts a little slot. This tube comes out and shoots a puff of air to blow the sawdust out. The fret what? wire gets stuck in there and cut off. So you've and, gone and seen the whole process. Oh, yeah. I, I've watched that machine for like a half an hour just going, fuck. And then it all gets finished by hand. They they round off the edges of the frets. And the, the craftsmanship is insane. So when Warwick approaches you and says they want to endorse you, do you just start with the basic? They go, here's this model. And then you start saying, oh, it'd be better if it was a little thinner in the neck or... And then they give you a new, they're like, here, try this. And I didn't want to fuck with their designs. You know, yeah. I figured they've been doing this for 35 years about. Yeah. So, um, I went to the NAMM show, uh, God, over five years ago. And I'd been endorsing Ibanez for a long time. Yeah. And I saw my rep from Ibanez on the floor, I'm all, like, like walking around, checking out stuff. I'm all, How come you're not in the booth? He's all, oh, dude, I quit. And I was devastated. That guy was so good to me, and, um, and I, I was loyal to him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so since he was gone, I was like, okay, I'm going to treat myself to a really nice base. And I shopped around uh, <laughs> all these different companies. And when I went to Warwick, they were just really friendly. It looked like it would be easy to convert a left-handed base to my way of playing by flipping the the bridge and the, yeah. and the nut. This is boring, but I was asking this guy, can I just take that nut and flip it? Cause it has like Allen wrench screws in it. And he's like, hold on a second. And he disappeared in the office. And when he came out, this guy was coming in. He said, Oh, HP, I want you to meet Scott reader. And it was the head of Warwick, Hans Peter Wilfer. No and he had me come into the office and, and he asked what I'd done before. And, and uh, and uh, he handed over my information to the artist rep. I got a call that Monday from the artist rep. Turned out he was a big Caius fan. No way. That's and awesome. Chris Kunitz. Thank God. Um, and he sent me a contract like the next day. Oh my God. It was like so quick. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. And they, they sent me out that thumb base. And That's then I, I ordered wanted. that first Katana base. And yeah i i have so much respect for their craftsmanship i didn't want to like well i want it in clear acrylic and right right you know i didn't want to they know the tone of that yeah, yeah. wood that they use and so, so there's nothing special about yours other than the the string setup yeah and the, the and the led and the led so i can see in the dark fret markers which is amazing and then um, later on i've customized the pickups a bit um, with Carrie Nordstrom pickups from Redlands. And Are they cool with that? Is Warwick cool with that? Are they like? I, I think so because they're offered on the on the custom models. Oh, they are. Yeah, oh, okay. on the order form, I believe it's actually in there. You, you can order um, EMGs or Seymour Duncan's or Carrie Nordstrom's. Is it a, a Scott Reader signature base? Um, not technically, I guess, but you can order it on the website. Right. Like if you want this, click here. You know, with your same pickups and everything. Uh, yeah. And LEDs. Yeah. With the skull. Yeah. The, the whole nine yards. Anyone who's into bases, and especially Warwick, you should go check out Scott's bases. They're so cool. They, the the fret markers light up and. It's chrome. It's chrome. It reflects chrome. stuff. Eight string. <laughs> oh my god! It's crazy. Uh, it sounds so good too. 
it, it sounds as amazing as it looks. Yeah. And you, yeah, you, you can see video of you playing it on Instagram and, oh my God, I'm so jealous. I, I wanted to, I wanted a Warwick probably around the time I started taking classes at Musicians Institute. I had, one of my teachers had a, a dolphin bass. Ah, oh, those are sweet. And, uh. I just loved it. I thought it looked cool. It wasn't like a typical Warwick where it was... I mean, they have the weird flat... The end, the, the back end of it is like yeah. flat. It's not rounded. Yeah. And it was uh, red. Mm. It wasn't like wood, a wood finish or black. It was just red. And I was like... It's all, maybe it was yellow. It, it might even have been yellow. Yeah. I don't even remember now. My it's head. all cut away on the bottom, so you can reach all the way to the top of that fretboard. I, I think it has 24 frets. Oh, my God, yeah. And I was, it's, it's a little weird to sit on your knee if you're sitting down. Yeah. But the access to the upper frets, if you are so inclined, I don't know if he's still thing. with Warwick. His, he was a teacher at Musicians Institute. I want to say his name was Dale... Titus? Something Titus? Does that sound familiar? Nah, it's not ringing a bell. He was such a good... There were all these guys that taught at Musicians Institute that were so good that I was just like, how come the world doesn't know about these guys? Like, there were guys that I was just like... One of my teachers, uh, Tim Bogert, yep. who played with Vanilla Fudge, and I was like, I'd never heard of him. You know, I, I'd heard the name Vanilla Fudge, but there's no, like you know, solo superstars in those bands where you, you know the band, but you don't know all the players in it. And I was right. like, I was like, well, this guy, why doesn't everyone know it? Like he played six string fretless. And I was like, wow. or Steve Bailey, all these guys. I was oh, like, he's one of the Warwick guys. Yeah. I was I like, see him a few times a year. He would, he's he would amazing. Do, he would do clinics. He played a six string fretless. Yeah. I was just like, who are these guys? They're fucking. And I would just sit in rooms with them by myself and they would, teach me techniques and stuff. I remember the the guy with the uh, the dolphin bass taught me how to play. I've long since forgotten, but it was my go-to. Like, you know, when you go to like a guitar store, you have your riff that you always play. Uh, he taught me how to play the intro to Dream On, Aerosmith's Dream On, like the harpsichord part. Uh -huh. He taught me how to play it t tapping on the bass and it sounded so fucking cool. And like whenever I would play at places, people would be like, "What the fuck? That's crazy!" <laughs> but he gave, wrote it out for me and taught it to me, and I, like that was my go-to. So you could read music for bass a little bit. Yeah, I've long since forgotten. Like, yeah. I've never been able to translate. I mean, I, I played trombone through school. Yeah, and I never translated it to bass because every band I've played in has a different tuning. Yeah, but yeah, that's that was the other thing. Whenever I pick up certain albums, like. Melvin's or Caius, you know, all my stuff was just a standard E tuning. I'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ, what what are these people doing? Like, but you guys, you were just tuned down to D, right? Is that Caius was down to C? Holy shit, really? Um, okay, Nick was out just before Lucifer the Red Sun came out, and when I was learning those songs, they kind of hovered around C yeah. but like for every song I'm like having to retune yeah uh, <laughs> apparently they just didn't have tuners and it drifted and that's drifted. amazing the first show I played was actually the record release party 
for Blues for the Red Sun. Uh-huh. I was at the Cat House in Hollywood. Oh my God, I forgot about that. What place. a weird place to have Caius, but yeah, um, the Cat House. we get up on stage with no tuners. So full blast, the first thing you hear is bass and guitar going da 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 you know yeah it was ridiculous before the next show I think I bought Josh a tuner like dude no I was the same way I would always just I was the guy the asshole in the band that would just hey play me an A or play me an E and and tune and this I'd be the asshole on stage just tuning. And then I started, you know, a few years ago doing these live shows with Brendan Small from Metalocalypse. Mm. We would do these shows at the Baked Potato. And we would play with, like, legit... Our house band was, like, guys who played with Zappa or Dweezil Zappa, you know, like yeah. Joe Travers and Pete Griffin and Mike Keneally and Walter Eno, all these guys that were, like, so professional and they all had tuners in At the Baked Potato? At the Baked Potato. Wow. And... uh and then, like, after, like, the second show we did, like, they were, it was almost like an intervention. They're like, dude, you have to get a fucking tuner. <laughs> You're slacking, bro. And fucking tune that shit. <laughs> They're like, they make tuners that you don't even have to have your volume up. And, Just clip it on your fucking headstock, yeah. bro. Um, do you know John Ziegler? Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. guy. Not well, but I know him from the baked potato. Yeah. I played a set with um, Pygmy Love Circus. The set list is over there on the wall. No shit. They wanted me to play two songs, and it, they were in different tunings. So I went to the first rehearsal, and they went through a bunch of stuff. Then I got up and did one song, and then I sat down. And then I came up for the next song. It was in a different tuning. I'm all, hold on, hold on, because I, I had to yeah. tune up there. I brought one bass. And <laughs> they're all, well, shit, this isn't going to work. Once you get up, you can't sit down, man. Play the second half of the set with us holy shit so within wow. like a week or so I, I learned half of their set and it had a blast it was at the key club oh yeah and I, I think it was the second to the last show that uh, Mike Savage played with them um, I hope they play again you know yeah everybody spread out all over the place um, yeah once I met all those guys and they started doing our shows I started going to all these these gigs at the Big Potato which I mean for the people listening was a you know, it's like a jazz club. It's one of, you know, it's like the, the two places in LA are like Catalina Bar and Grill and Big yeah. Potato. And it's like, you go there and it's like, oh shit, there's amazing musicians I've yeah. never heard about playing music. I've never, you know, fusion and kind of prog. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Volto there. That, I think that was the first time I met John. Yeah. And, and Danny Carey was in the band. Yeah. yeah. Danny's been to some of our shows. I, I've seen him play there. And uh, yeah, it's just, you know, when you grow up just listening to, you know, Black Sabbath and shit. <laughs> I remember, you know, when I was in college, a friend of mine took me to the Greek theater. This was probably like 87 or 88. Yep. And, uh, he took me to see Spyro Gyra. <laughs> I didn't even, I was, he's like, you want to go to this? He's like, I got an extra ticket to see his band. And I, I just thought it'd be like rock or something. And I was just like, these guys are fucking amazing. And this is just weird. I've never heard music. Cause it's not really jazz. It's fusion, fusiony. And, uh, yeah. And I remember the opening band for them for Spyro Gyra. These two people called Tuck and Patty, 
That sounds familiar for some reason. Um, Tuck Andrus, who I later found out. You know, do you know Matt Sweeney? Yeah. He was our publicist in the Kais days. He was? Yeah. So that's how Josh knows him. Yeah. I didn't. Nasty little man. Oh, my God. I didn't know this at all. Yeah. Um, I saw Matt play with Josh at Largo one night. Like, they just did an acoustic set. They did, like, I think a Neil Young song. But, um, yeah, Matt Matt has that web series. Like, what's it called? Uh, Guitar Moves? Yeah, I think so. Where he just sits down with different guitar players and um, like Billy Gibbons, and there's one with Josh. He did one with Keith Richards. Wow! But he did one with um, Saint Vincent. Annie, uh, what's her last name? Annie, Annie, who's Saint Vincent? And uh, he's like, "Where did you learn how to play?" She she mentioned her uncle is Tuck Andrus. (laughs) I was like, "Wait a minute, that's the guy from Tuck and Pan." He's like. One of the most amazing guitar players I've ever seen in my life that, you know, like fucking nobody has ever heard of, but he, cause he was playing like jazz, like, but it was like amazing, like tapping shit. Like I'd never heard of before. Yeah. And do you uh, remember Struance and Farah from those days? No, they were more of a Latin thing that it was back in those same days, like around when you were going to MI. So, oh my God, I didn't know Matt went that far back with you guys. Yeah, I remember walking the streets of New York City with that guy. Was he playing in, was his band Che? Um, I remember his band Skunk. Okay. With Claude Coleman, who was in Ween. Oh, wow. Uh, amazing record. I think the record was called Laid. Because he had a band with Clay Tarver, who was... Uh, now a producer and writer on that show Silicon Valley, huh. and uh, yeah, they're called Che. Yeah. And uh, God, I had no idea. What do you think of the 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 label Desert Rock or Stoner Rock? I don't know it, either. That happened after we were gone, I believe. Yeah. I mean, to me, Stoner Rock would be Black Sabbath or yeah, yeah, totally. Or Jimi Hendrix, but that label didn't really happen until after we were gone. I don't know. It doesn't bother me. I, Some people hate it. I think, <laughs> I think Chris Goss hates it. <laughs> like Stoner Rock or Desert Rock. Yeah, I, I know. Back in the day, we didn't like being tagged metal. Right. If we were on the road and we went to a record store and they had Guy's record on the metal shelf, we were bummed. It was in the metal sh- shelf at my record store in Riverside. Yeah. I think we would actually like take them from the metal shelf and we put them over <laughs> on the punk shelf. You know? Oh yeah, that's good. I mean, to me, from where my heart was coming from, it came from, you know, more of a punk side. Yeah. It, to me, that attitude of not giving a fuck what anybody thinks, but it's such a weird thing, you know, punk rock. There was a lot of, I mean, looking back, I don't want to call it like a fascist attitude in yeah. light of how things are going today, but yeah. like if you had to look a certain way or wear a certain accessory or whatever, fuck that. We we're more into the SST. Well, when I was in across the river with, with Mario and Alfredo, yeah. we were more into the SST scene 
where even Black Flag, Henry was growing his hair long. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing them at Perkins Palace in probably 84. Really? Uh, I remember oh Henry said, like he had pretty fucking long hair. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I remember him saying, the hair comes and goes, but the attitude stays the same. I love Henry Rollins <laughs> so much. He really is smart. I, I remember like years ago he he you know he had that show on ifc and he would always you know do like a monologue or a rant you know or talk about something and he had this thing i still send to people every now and then where he talks about quote unquote selling out and you know bands who will let their music be used in like tv commercials like to yeah. sell stuff and you know a lot of people get mad they're like how could you sell out you you using your song in a fucking you know a coca-cola ad or yeah and henry rollins is just totally like he's like yeah that's the fucking that's the goal to make money yeah playing music yep. you don't want to work in a fucking you know del taco all your life he's like if you can sell one of your songs for like a hundred thousand dollars to ford yeah he's like why the fuck wouldn't you do that yep he's like that's the whole it's not selling out. It's yeah. It's reaching a goal. I, I had that discussion way back in those days when I was working at that Jingle House. Uh, my wife and I went out with the the composer Anthony, and uh -huh. and I think my wife was giving him shit. Yeah, you you do it all for the money. And, yeah, and we were both giving him shit, and he's all, oh yeah, and you garage bands. The minute you put a demo tape out and give it to anybody, you're selling out. Yeah, you know. That's the goal. You want people to hear your music, and I don't know. I, I'm older now, and hopefully a little wiser. But bands don't break shit, up. Over man, shit, man. I, like I, like, I, I wouldn't be bummed if a song of mine was offered a commercial. It depends on what the product was, but didn't like or a film. You know, didn't like Violent Femmes break up or something because one of them was like okayed their song for use in like I a commercial know. or something, and, and then like. One of the other dudes was like, you motherfucker, like... Wow. I was like, yeah, just give me a check and I'll be fucking fine. Yeah. yeah. I just want to pay my rent. I saw one of the songs from Sound City in a ad. Might have been for Polo Cologne or something. <laughs> really? I'm all, damn. That is... <laughs> How come that wasn't my song? <laughs> yeah. Shit. It was the Paul McCartney song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever record at Sound City? Oh, yeah. Um, Sky Valley with Caius. That was at Sound City. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. It was all that. tracked there. Um, the second or the well, the second one that I worked on was um, Circus Leaves Town. That was done there. Yeah. I was in this band Unita with John. Uh -huh. We did a full album there that got shelved. And Wait, did it never come out? No. So there's a, a an album out there that's. Yeah, I mean it's available on. You can find file it. sharing, whatever. It's out there, yeah. It was going to be called the Great Divide. Uh huh. And why did it? How did? How, how did? How does that happen? How does it? Just, how does it get shelved? How do you finish an album and then it just never? Yeah, I, I mean the budget on that thing was insane. It, it was ridiculous. I, I, I was conscious of trying to keep costs down mm -hmm. after the Caius experience, and you know whatever you spend is coming out of what it's what gonna take back. for you to live for the next year while you're out touring yeah 
And oh, this Unita record was just throwing money out the window. We, we did it for Rick Rubin's label. Um, we had George Draculius producing. And at the time, it was all set to come out on, is it American Recordings? That, it sounds about I want to say American. Deaf American, but I think it was American Recordings at that time. Um, through Columbia Records. That was Rick Rubin's home at the time. And we had friends there. Artwork was being done. Um, Adam Jones was doing the cover. Uh -huh. His wife was doing all the artwork. And we had it all in place. And suddenly in the middle of everything, within two or three months before it's supposed to come out, Rick Rubin pulls up the roots and goes over to Island Def Jam. Oh, no shit. And I forget who was on their quote-unquote rock roster at the time. I think it was um, Lynch Mob. <laughs> and George Lynch. And some 41. And that that might have been it. Lynch Mob. I think that was... was stalking. I, I, I think that was it. So we just got shelved. And um, Rick Rubin offered us either to keep the masters or take this pile of cash. And I, I wanted to keep the masters. And, yeah, yeah. And we could have given it to another label and with no cost, got a record out. Yeah. A really fucking expensive record. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the amount spent on that fucking thing was like in the three or four hundred thousand dollar range really we, we had um ben montench oh my keyboards. god i know ben Mutt. i um, love ben Mutt. Uh, ben stiller popped in to check out the mixes one time and where does the money go like if a label says we want to give you two hundred thousand dollars to make a record yeah why wouldn't you just go to like rancho for a couple weeks that's what i would be comfortable doing yeah um, Why would you go to a big studio and hire? I don't know. Like where? Do, I don't understand where the money goes. Maybe we were a tax write-off. Well, we were a tax write-off. Yeah. Any way you slice it, but yeah, it was just that was a weird experience, man. So, yeah, I, I left shortly after that. I was outvoted to take the money, and I knew that was the death of us. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a label that was going to buy those masters from Rick Rubin. No way. No. At that point, that was what? Around 2000? Does Rick Rubin still have the masters? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was probably around 2001, oh, I'm shit. thinking. So I think that's when Napster started yeah. flipping everything. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, it's not a good time for a record label to invest no. a few hundred thousand. In no. So. Were you ever? Were you involved in the like the generator shows? Yeah. You were. Um, and he, when I was in Across the River, we were living out in L.A. before we moved back. This is probably yeah. 85. And to, the, to the listeners, these shows, you, you guys would go out and just put on shows out in the middle of nowhere in the desert yeah. using generators. Well, the first ones we played were in L.A. Oh, I didn't we, know. we were invited. Across the River was invited to play um, these parties that Dave Travis was throwing. Uh huh. Um, do you know Abby Travis? I do know Abby. Yeah. That's her brother. Not super well, but yeah. Yeah, her brother Dave. He was a roadie for Red Cross, oh, wow. and he's like a videographer that was shooting everything. He's put out a, a, a DVD or two of wow. the golden days back then in the Whoa. mid '80s. Um, 
so we played a couple of parties like in Topanga Canyon. Oh wow! Uh, one of them was with DC Three, uh-huh. Des from Black Flag, yeah. and so he wanted to put a show on out in the desert. And he got in touch with us. And I think he was coordinating with Mario. And Mario found this really cool spot out in Indio Hills. And this road... Okay, this ended up in the Green Machine video with Caius. I took them out there. Oh, yeah, you're out in the middle. Yeah, yeah, this road... Playing out on a a road in the middle of the desert. Yeah, and the road just crumbles off into this wash. So the people were down in the wash, and then the edge of the road was like the stage. No shit. And it was a nice surface to set up your amps and drums and... It was so fucking awesome. A lot of people came out there. Where no cops. Where is this road? Do, do you know? Is this like um, my scrapbook's in the other room, and there's a map if you want to see that later. Did but. you go to the the recent um, stoned and what was it called? The, oh the god, thing that Brant just did no a three hundred dollar ticket. No, it was three hundred dollars. Yeah. I mean, that was the cool thing about those generator parties back in the day. You just had to know somebody and be in the loop of where it was going to happen. And it was free. And that was happening, you know. No way. And this thing. Um, this was just like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Who somebody you play? Yeah. Somebody asked us if we were going. And I looked it up. And it was a three hundred dollar ticket. I think it was, it was for just that event. Oh, man. It was two hundred ninety five plus a 650 service charge or something and I don't oh, know. I'm sure it was like, a really great experience for, yeah, uh, as cool. I was told, the super fans yeah. that wanted to... I mean, there were people from all over the world coming out for that thing. Was it like a Live Nation thing? Like, they actually did it through a company? I have no idea. Right? I have no idea. Oh, somebody, so made some, somebody made some money. Do you know John Schrader? Tall John? Mm. You'd know him if you saw him. He's taller than me. He's like six ten. Trainer? John Schrader. Oh yeah, yeah. He went to yeah. Your your twin. Yeah. Um. He's at all the Queen shows backstage. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I hope those parties resume soon. I think they're done with their record. I think he went to. uh, Yeah, I think John used to go to those shows, those generator shows. Yeah. Now Mario eventually bought a generator. And we would rehearse out in the desert or just go out and fuck around. The favorite times that I have from those days are not having a crowd of people. Just the band, our ladies, a couple of friends. We'd go out and find a cool spot, um, like up at the nudist colony, for example. Where's that? Um, It was up Highway 62 on the way to Joshua Tree. Uh And then there's a road that you cross Pearson left on Pearson and it was up in those hills no way there was a pool that everybody was skating back then and the ruins of a nudist colony no way yeah so we would go out there just us and get stoned and take some beers out there and we would just jam all night we'd see the sun come up so cool and no people no idiots flashing guns or yeah, setting yeah. fires or you know th- those yeah. are my favorite generator moments where it was just quiet and and we would just indulge ourselves and shit you know I love I, nobody witnessed that my my wife witnessed that yeah I used to play in a band in college and one of two of the guys 
were from San Diego. Mm-hmm. One of them still lived in San Diego at the time, but the rest of us were in Riverside. But the other one who was from San Diego, but still living in Riverside, his... No, no. The one who still lived in San Diego, his parents owned a bridal shop huh. that sold bride's dresses. Huh. And we would, like, go down and just rehearse in this bridal. Like, there we're just set up in the middle of all these mannequins in bridal dresses. <laughs> and it was the Bizarre. It was the best time. Yeah. And, like, it was just us playing for, like, seven hours. Probably sounded great with all that deadening yeah oh my god insulation cool i wish i had come here from riverside or not from riverside but from la because i remember like a year and a half ago i i dm'd you photos of like mean street magazines like with all these articles caius articles that i had from when i was you know like 19 20 years old i still have them there at my place in uh la it's like i gotta give these to scott um, but I came from Palm Springs today. It's all good. I probably have a couple of them in these books. <laughs> I was the scrapbook guy throughout. Yeah. You're the memories guy. Yeah, got a few up here. I should just plaster that whole wall with flyers. Oh my God, there's some amazing. Yeah, that's that Melvin's Caius poster is amazing. Where was that? that? Oh, that was in Berlin. The the Melvin's thing. Jesus. That was crazy. That was our last tour in Europe. We were playing a lot of festivals. Um, How was it playing with the Melvins? I didn't think we should be following them, and I made my opinion <laughs> heard. Yeah, and Josh was getting mad. He's like, "Dude," but they they definitely put the heat on us. You know, I think we fucking killed on that trip. Yeah, I think that was our finest moment on that trip. And then we were playing other shows with Soundgarden. Our very last show was at a communist festival in Italy. Oh, my God, with Blind Melon? Yeah. Pennywise? Yeah, Shannon died right after that. And the bass player from Pennywise shot himself right after that, too. Is that true? Yeah. He was also endorsing Ibanez basses. He played the ATK, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's trippy when you look back and... People are missing. The nineties, right? Yeah. But that trip with Soundgarden, that yeah, was crazy. When we started that trip, we were in Scandinavia and we'd never been there before and we were bottom of the bill. Uh Mud Honey was on the bill. No way. And then when we got to Germany, we'd been there a bunch of times and then they were calling that the co headlining Soundgarden Caius with Really? With oh yeah, you're pretty big up on yeah. that poster. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Yeah, that that was some good times on that trip and that was the end we had no idea that was going to be the end what what made uh caius end? what brought caius to an end i don't know i mean josh says we painted ourselves into a corner creatively yeah i don't even know what john says but they had different stories yeah i just got called into a meeting one morning on a saturday like woke me up at nine o'clock Josh said, hey, can you meet at my house in a half an hour? I'm like, oh, shit. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Dad's and I, holding a meeting. Yeah, I walked in, and, and those guys were just sitting there looking at the ground. I'm all, spit it out. What's up? Oh, and, man, what a bummer. And they just said, we can't do this anymore. So That's such, that's so crazy. Yeah, Kais was amazing. I never saw you guys live. But ah. 
I w- had everything you guys recorded. Some great experiences, man. Yeah, it's so weird. I mean, to the people listening, if you go on my Instagram, just yesterday I went out to Dillon Road out in uh, Sky Valley and then took a photo of that sign from the <laughs> album. And I've been coming out to the desert, you know, for 30 years. I mean, granted, that wasn't not a 30-year-old album, but yeah. like... Getting close. It's <laughs> always been like, I wonder where that picture is, where that welcome sign is. Because I didn't even know where Sky Valley was. Yeah, I, I wasn't there when Alex took that picture. Uh, I don't know if Josh was with him or not. Um, but yeah, I, I know where it is. Did you the album based on the picture, or did you take the picture? Actually, on the spine of the CD, it's self-titled. It just says Caius. Oh, really? Yeah, we were going to mix things up and do the self-titled, you know, three, four records in. And just because of that picture, people call it Sky Valley or Welcome to Sky Valley. Do you call it Sky Valley or do you? Yeah. Just, yeah. It, it, yeah, that's the name of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. I was like, I, yeah, that was going to be another one of my questions when I was driving out here. I was like, why... Why Sky Valley? Like, did any of you live in Sky Valley or did you ever play in Sky Valley? No. It's just a cool picture. Yeah. That's so funny. Let's see here. Oh, shit. Hour 10 minutes, dude. We did it. Whoa. How about that? You talked for an hour. That's a record for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty. I usually get to about 30 or 40 minutes with somebody. Yeah. Especially if someone I don't know super well, and I'm always like, oh, fuck, what am I going to talk about? Yeah. I knew I would have no problem talking. I'm pretty quiet most of the time. I'm more eloquent when I'm typing, I think. Yeah, yeah. I knew I would have no problem, but last week I did an, a podcast with John Heater from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah. It's like, we talked for two hours. Wow. Like, that has never happened to me before. Usually I'm at an hour, and I'm like... That's probably good. And uh, you were talking, and I looked at my watch, and I was like, oh, my God. We got in this. We've been talking for two hours, dude. <laughs> um, do you have anything you want to plug? You just finished recording Fireball Ministry. Fireball Ministry. Yeah, it's their fifth LP, my first recording with them. And I'm They've not been around sure. for forever. Yeah, like 15 years. I think they started... Pretty soon after Caius was gone. Yeah, like late 90s. And when I was in Unita, we actually played together. I found these really? tickets. I don't have my glasses on, but <laughs> yeah, we played together at, what is it, the House of Blues? Yeah, House of Blues LA. Unita Fireball Ministry. And we've, we've been friendly over the years. And I did a recording with them, I don't know, maybe four years ago. And we talked about, yeah, one of these days we should play live. Did you do one of those cruises with us? Yeah, yeah. It was a few months after I did that recording, I got the call from Jim. And he said, dude, Motorhead's doing a cruise ship. And we can play this thing if you're down. Fuck yeah. How was it? It was insane. I mean, you know, a couple thousand diehard Motorhead fans. (laughs) Um how long was the, the cruise? Like a week? No, just a few days. Yeah. Three or four days. Was it out um, of L.A.? or No, out of um, Miami. Oh, wow. And so we <laughs> had a few rehearsals and got on that boat. And man, we had a blast. 
rough seas at all? Um, yeah. You Actually, we did the second cruise too. The the following year, there was a motorboat too. <laughs> Do you and, get seasick at all? Um, no, nah, I grew up on boats, mm-hmm. so I'm pretty good with it all. But we were out running a hurricane on the second one. No, we, we were in Nassau for a day. Went to the aquariums and stuff. And it was pouring rain. We got back on the boat, and we were to play that night. And I looked on my phone at the Doppler, and we're fucking next to this hurricane, like huge hurricane. There was a boat going the other way that people noticed that thought, oh, that's kind of weird. That boat fucking sank. Over 30 people died. What? Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. No way. And then, okay, we played that night. I, I watched Motorhead, and I noticed that Lemmy was kind of like swaying back and forth. I'm like, ah, oh, man, this is hard to watch, but he's hanging in there. He's rocking out. But uh, and it, then I realized that I was swaying back and forth too because it was the boat going back and forth. Oh. And then we played, and you know, I'm whipping around, and, and I almost fell down a couple of times. You just. You, you lean the wrong yeah. way as the boat's going the other way. It was pretty crazy. Oh, I had a I had a roommate who who actually after I graduated from the Musicians Institute, that was also right after my girlfriend had broken up with me. He's the one I ended up moving in with. He was yeah. like a teacher at the Musicians Institute. He had a room for rent at his house, but he would play. He like he played with Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and he uh, this guy Alexis Klarevsky. Do you know that? Uh. He's really good. And, um, but he would do tour, like boat, like gigs like that. And just, I was like, I can never do it. I get cease, I get motion sickness. And I was like, I can't do it. I've been offered, you know, to go do, they, like they do comedy cruises, you know, mm-hmm. just like, I got to pass. Yeah. Brian Pesane was on the last one. Yeah. I remember that. Um, Jim Brewer was on the one before that. I think I'm kind of jealous cause I think it would be fun, but I'm also like, I hear so many horror stories about it. Remember, like, a few years ago, there was that cruise ship in the Gulf of Mexico that, like, lost all its power and was just drifting for, like, a week. Yeah. And, like, the plumbing Hello. died and people were just, like... the Shit sh- overflowing. Yeah, shit was overflowing and it smelled ah. like shit. I was... <laughs> oh, and people were getting sick and I was like, I, I, I can't... I can't even imagine, that. yeah. That sounds just like my own personal hell. <laughs> but Fireball Ministry, you just finished record, so that'll be... Yeah, I, I finished my there. tracks on Thursday. I think there's a, a couple of vocals left to do, but I signed off on my stuff, and man, it's such a huge weight lifted. And so I don't know when the release date is, but it should be pretty Still soon. Mix it and, yeah, and then we'll... Were we'll, you the last uh, piece in the puzzle? Um, besides the vocals yeah okay um and then sun and sail club that was just like a year and a half ago right 2000 yeah the the last thing we did was a year ago just a couple days ago was good i was listening to it on the way over thank you that last one with tony man that was so fun so fun playing the shows with him he was one of my idols in the punk days when i was just getting into punk rock he recorded with you guys yeah holy shit yeah, the first album we did was all vocoder. I was going to say I was I was listening to the first album too like the other day and I was like it's 
it's like stoner rock, but it's also got like a tangerine dream kind of. Yeah, like there's like a proggy vocoder element vocals. thing. Yeah, Bob did all the vocals sitting on the couch where you are. Um, with a Bob is singing Bob Bach. Uh, yeah, he's playing guitar. Goes through this box, and then he's got a microphone, and the formants of his voice control like a filter that yeah. his guitar is going through, yeah. and he's playing these really intricate chords. He meant it to just be a demo for a singer to come in and and layer all these harmonies. <laughs> You're just like I'm all, dude. That sounds fucking insane. Yeah, and it's guitar. It's not like some synthesizer it didn't sound like anything i'd heard before yeah it sounds cool and i talked him into leaving it that way and oh we got so much hatred for that <laughs> but then we did the second album with tony singing and then people are hey where's the vocoder there were a couple of nods a couple of background parts with the vocoder but i remember the first time i heard the difference in the two i was like was well, there a different sun and sail club just because of the vocals yeah um but Scott, it's Scott Reeder playing drums, right? Yeah, it was kind of a joke Scott getting us together. Um, Bob said that he wanted to come out and record some stuff with Scott Reeder. I'm all, oh, that'll be funny. And I thought they were just going to do some demos for Fu Manchu mm -hmm. and, so they could present it to the band. And I got them all set up. I'm sitting here while they're in the other room just wailing through this crazy song and yeah. they came in here and I know my jaw was just hanging <laughs> I'm all who's gonna fucking play bass on this stuff and Bob's all I don't know I'll probably come back like next month and I'm all you mind if I take a shot at this stuff and he's all oh that'd be cool bro <laughs> no way and uh so it was just originally set up for you to record them I think they had ulterior motives walking in here yeah yeah I think it was a fucking sneaky move but. it sounds so good it does have a very Fu Manchu sound to it mm -hmm. I mean obviously yeah. with those two guys but I mean for the listeners it's uh, Bob and and Scott who play guitar and drums in Fu Manchu which both, is, both Scott readers in one band I mean it, 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 yeah. it's ridiculous and I love Fu Manchu I've seen them a bunch of times I, uh, I've hung out with those guys a few times they're, they're fucking awesome and yeah. I've loved I got into Fu Probably not long after Caius. I mean, I think yeah. Caius was my gateway yeah. into that heavy kind of sounding music. Yeah, Brant was way into those guys. He he introduced us to the Fu Manchu guys for yeah. sure. Um, Brant's so, done some interesting like musical stuff, like all those weird solo albums. Yeah. Like you can tell he's way into that seventies vibe and like yeah. the the funky wah and like like I listen to his stuff and I'm like, yeah, I can just picture kids skating pools and you know vans and i mean a lot like the fu manchu stuff yeah yeah he was way into that stuff um i played in a band with ruben from fu manchu uh -huh. and eddie from fu manchu no. just for a second what was that uh, nebula no i saw nebula at yeah. the uh viper room yeah yeah it was when they were first starting out and you were not playing with them but i saw them at the viper room probably like Fuck, I want to say late 90s. I yeah. think I was still living on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, they had an original bass player that wasn't working out, and and they hit me up, and I was busy doing other stuff, and I wanted to play with those guys really bad. It was fun. Was yeah. A lot of jammy. Really Eddie stuff. was shredding on guitar, Yeah, and Ruben's such a great drummer. 
I think I played three shows with them, and then they got Mark from Fu Manchu to, to play with them. Yeah, there were. Yeah, I saw them, and they were a three piece. But when I saw them at the Viper Room, there was someone else playing guitar with them, and uh, I didn't even know who they were. I was just yeah. like, "Oh, I'm going to go to the Viper Room." I just walked across because I lived right behind the old Tower Record on Sunset. Yeah, and I walked down there, and I was just like, "Oh my god, I love it!" I just remember the the song called "Smoking Woman." And uh, it was just so like Sabbathy, and I was yeah. like, "Oh my god, I love these guys!" Yeah, yeah, they were great. They had a lot of lineup changes in. Yeah, um, the drummer from Karma to Burn was with them for a while. Yeah, Karma to Burn recorded here. Really, this is a great studio, man. They they came out here. Oh, that was when John Koneski was here. Uh huh. Um, what was the other band? Year Long Disaster? <laughs> I don't know. And they were, it was Daniel Davies, the, the son of Dave Davies from the Kinks. Really? And his band included the drummer from Third Eye Blind. What? But um, Rob from Karma to Burn was playing in the band for this recording. It was it was a one-off seven-inch split with the sword, I think. Huh. So they they came in to record this thing with John Koneski playing guitar from from uh, Tenacious D, yeah, and all the Karma to Burn guys were in the same van because they were supposed to be heading to Arizona to record a full length album at some studio out there. So we're halfway through just doing this one song, and they're all, "What are you doing for the next week?" I'm all nothing. <laughs> Can we finish recording here? Yeah. Wow. And everything was already set up. So the next morning, we just started banging it out. And those guys were incredible, man. Everything was just first take, boom, boom, boom. This is a cool house, man. I mean, if I ever... I recorded an album, <laughs> a comedy album, but it was mu it's music. Huh? And uh, I recorded it. Because when I was doing that show at the Baked Potato, you know, we did it monthly. And so I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to write a song. For every show one song a month i go i can do that and uh and i was like then by the end of the year i'll have enough songs for a fucking album <laughs> i think i only ended up writing like five songs but they all have like comedy lyrics which have shit to do with like my jokes and stuff but i was just like i'd always wanted to go record at rancho and we went out there and uh, do you know hayden hayden scott I think sounds, he plays drums with Brody. And, that sounds um, familiar. But he he lives out there in Joshua Tree now. He he engineered it, and Dave hung out and made us food, and oh, it was such a fun day. <laughs> and uh, did that like a year and a half ago. And I have just been sitting on everything is finished. I'm just I just gotta mix it, hack it off, get it out there. You know, I just gotta bite the bullet and get that done. That's the hardest thing is just to. Decide that you're done and get it out there. Yeah, it's all done, and I'm like, oh my god, this all sounds so cool. Like it sounds good as it is, but I'm like, I know I have to have someone sit down and like fine tune it, yeah. you know, and pay them. <laughs> the other part, I'm like, I need a few more jobs before I can pay somebody to do it. But um, yeah, so check out any multitude of Scott's bands. Uh, you can follow you on Instagram and Twitter. What's your tw handle? On Twitter, I think it's Scott with an underscore. Underscore reader. R-E-E-D-E-R. -E 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 Correct. Um, 
I think Instagram's just straight through Scott Reader. I think you're right. And Facebook. Um, I had a like an artist quote unquote page. Oh yeah. That I was trying to maintain at the same time as the personal page, but oh, hard to I, I haven't done that other page. So just the personal page, I opened it up for whatever. <laughs> I'm doing the, I'm balancing the same thing. I'm just like, I just yeah. need one. They have that 5,000 limit on the personal. personal page. Yep. So I just opened it up public. So follow him. Let's, let's get Scott to that 5,000 limit. So he has to switch it all over. That's what I did. I reached the 5,000 on my personal page and I was like, uh, yeah, I wish you could buy a, another chunk. Like if they sold blocks of a thousand, buy know. a chunk buy a thousand. Yeah. And so I just switched that page to a, a artist page. Yeah. It's complicated. Uh, now that I'm in my forties. I'm like, I don't know. The social medias. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for doing this, dude. Thanks for coming out. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And then I was, I found myself out. I'm shooting a movie out in Palm Springs for two weeks. And I was like, Oh my God, I have some downtime. Maybe I'll ask Scott. Or you, you tweeted it or you mess, you commented on one of my photos in Palm Springs. You're like, if you want to come out to, to the ranch. Yeah, I saw you were out here. I was like, fuck man. I was like, Oh my God, this is the perfect opportunity. Every time you drive through banning on the way to the desert, you're like, three yeah. miles away maybe yeah and this was also just i wanted to see this property i've seen so much of this in your instagram which is amazing i still want to meet your little dog scooter which is, i'll bring her over which you know scooter's always on your uh on your what's it called polaris yeah. riding around feeding the, <laughs> the oh, she horses. gets pissed if i don't take her on the horse feed that's amazing like she sulks like <laughs> if the weather's bad or it's windy last night it was yeah. kind of smoky there was a fire out in riverside yeah oh she was pissed and renee comes outside um you forgot somebody <laughs> yeah when i got here scott was like oh shit i gotta let the goats out and I, was like, I didn't even know you had goats i don't think i'd seen that and you open this gate and like 12 goats come running out <laughs> stampede oh of goats i'm in heaven i just love all these animals um so yeah let's call this quits and i want to go see more animals all right uh thanks for doing this and uh thanks for listening everybody and we'll catch you next time cheers thank you bye Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. 